It's Randy Cardoon. Thanks for joining me for our extended conversation with the guys from the hit car show on Velocity Wheeler Dealers, hosted by Mike Brewer and his cohort in the garage, Ed China. Hey, guys, how long has Wheeler Dealers been on the air? It's 11 years. Yeah, Feels like 20, but 15 is a good average. I've been on television now 17 years. I worked that the other day. It's about 17 or 18 years. Uh, but Wheeler Dealers has been 11 years wow. of hard work. Where did the idea of Wheeler Dealers come up? Were you sitting in a pub somewhere and it just over a third beer kind of went ding? Or where did that idea come from? We, we'd love to say it was like that, but, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> but, but it's not. No, uh, we... Uh, I was already doing a TV show, and Ed was already a very successful uh, engineer in the world of automotive uh, strangeness. So Ed had this uh, business <laughs> it's a niche where, market. It's a niche market. <laughs> Ed has this business where he makes motorized sofas, motorized beds, motorized furniture. And Ed had appeared on a, another show called uh, uh, Top Gear. It was a famous show back in England. Absolutely. And he had appeared show. on that show as a, a, doing the segment. And at the same time, I was already doing a very successful show in England, and I got approached by uh, Discovery Channel to do a show which they were thinking of calling uh, Grand Autos, and they wanted me buying and selling cars to get and put me together with a mechanic. They tested me with a mechanic, uh, and he was no good. He was useless. Uh, so we sat around and said, well, who could it be? And I'd seen Ed on Top Gear, and I said, well, there's this mad sort of guy. And they, they knew of him as well. And they said, yeah, well, we'll try and find him. And uh, they found Ed. And fortunately, he had his own garage, his own business. Uh, so I went along for a screen test with Ed one day. And literally within five minutes, uh, magic happened. It was, it was great. Motorized couch. Yes, well, it's, it's actually set the record for the world's fastest piece of furniture at 87 miles an hour. So it's a pretty full-on bit of motorized couch. <laughs> Isn't that weird how something like that could lead to something else? Because I could imagine when somebody approached you on that, assuming they did, or, or maybe you came up with it yourself and you thought, no, I'll just kind of do this thing. I mean, you know, what could come of it? No, it's in Ed's head, and uh, nobody come up with it. It really is. He still wants to build his floating city and things like Incredible. that. It's no, it's this kind head. of, I, know, I think it's engineering is, 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 and design is, it's a conduit for ideas into in, into the real world and so obviously the crazier things that you can think of and the things that you put together that shouldn't necessarily put together you end up with wonderful results like driving sofas and then of course I met my wife the same way uh, with the same driving sofa so it's um, yeah that, that particular car has been quite good to me <laughs> I'm sorry you, you just said you met your wife via your automotive sofa yes it basically, it was it was kind of our. It was actually it wasn't even our first date. We were doing uh, tours of London, and uh, basically she was working at a company where we needed sort of access for our customers, and um, basically to say thank you, we kind of took her out for a drive at the end of the day, and uh, obviously we kind of I don't know, we kind of went from there. Really, it took about two years to get it together, but it was good. Did it have seat belts? <laughs> yes, got oh, seat it belts. Did. Sort of thing, yeah, awesome. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Do you remember the first car you did on Wheeler Dealers? Yes, I do. It was a Porsche 924, red one. Back in those days, the series, it was it had very humble beginnings, Wheeler Dealers. Uh, it was basically me, Ed, uh, a cameraman, and uh, a director. That was it. Uh, you're not even sound, you know. It was just get on with it. And uh, when I say humble beginnings, we, we started off with just a £1,000 or $1,500 budget. Uh, on the first car that was to buy, restore, and sell the car within fifteen hundred dollars, and uh, I remember the very first car I went and bought was a nine hundred pounds or a, a thirteen hundred dollar uh, Porsche nine two four, and uh, I, I never thought back then 
that it would be where it is today. Uh, but it it was very quickly through that through that series when the magic mm. started to happen in the studio and in the workshop, I started to realize that we're actually onto something here. You know, I, I watch the show. A lot of people do, obviously. And I always love the part where you're bringing some vehicle in and Ed's giving you the look like you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> that happens <laughs> now, a lot. Now, it happens a lot. <laughs> Every but, time. <laughs> but a lot, of us, a lot of us aren't really sure if that's real or no, not. Yeah, so true. my question to Ed, what was the car that you remember that – you really thought you've got to be kidding me. I think, well, yeah, but there are so many. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> I mean, well, the Caddy, yeah, really, because I think, well, the Cadillac, you know, it was, it, was, it was a long way into our relationship, if you like. So so by then, you'd think he'd have got it by now. You know? But, um, you know, and it was a proper wreck. But, but equally, it's a cool car. So you can kind of see through that. And I think that's the thing. I mean, Mike's very good at buying cars, that even if... There is, you know, we all like to shirk work every once in a while, but I think actually that's part of the game, if you like, that's part of the deal. And so, and, you know, really, it's very rarely have we had cars that have been really terrible. I mean, I think probably the closest I mean, that we have, we had an incident with the, uh, with the Capri years ago with the, with the dodgy wing, but that was down to a supplier problem. Um, but actually, I think the Jeep we did, the, uh, what was it, the Suzuki, that was the, that was the, probably the worst car ever, just because, um, we did loads of work to it. We you know we changed the axles and the engine, and, the, and then put roll cage in it and stuff. And the further we got into it, the more rust we found, and just got worse and worse and worse. And if we'd had more time, we could have actually got um, it's kind of equivalent of a smog test. Uh, it was like a, it's called an MOT. Had to get a test to make it legal for the road, and we could have done it eventually, but we ran out of time. And so then, but luckily, Mike managed to spin it around and just sell it to a guy who didn't need it to be road legal. Sold it to a guy with a farm, and, and it's still there today, driving around. So you know, it was okay, but that was pretty disastrous. That was like a samurai, was it? It was, just like a little Suzuki samurai. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of cars over the years that even, you know, when I've stood there and stared at them, <laughs> I've gone, oh, I'm going to push Ed a bit too far with this one. Uh, but the the one thing about what we do on the show, and it's the one thing that makes the show, you know, I'm such a fan of the show, is that Ed is never phased by anything that I bring him back. Uh, yeah, it is absolutely real. You know, when you when I pull up for the first time and, and press the hooter, he sees the car. He knows I'm coming. You know, it's a filming day. He knows that I've got a car, but we hide it from him. Uh, but when... When I turn up and he sees the car for the first time, there's always that moment I think, oh, it's a sheer moment of terror for me. But then it just comes out as a matter of fact and says, yeah, okay, you know, we'll just get it in and get on with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, one, the one that springs to mind for me, genuinely, uh, that I'm shocked still today by, is the Lamborghini Uraco. You know, that car, there's probably only about three or four people in the world that would dare remove the engine from a Lamborghini Uraco. And uh, and I remember buying the car that hadn't been run for many years. Uh, he's told me, you know, whatever you do, don't, he knew I was coming with that car because we'd spoke about it before. Don't start it. Don't turn the engine over. Don't do anything. Just get me the car. I want that car in the workshop. And uh, when I turned up, I thought, you know, this is going to be, this is an Italian V8 engine. This is going to be kind of... It's the Swiss watch of engines. You're going to undo one screw, and like a laptop, it's just going to bing, things are just going <laughs> to spring out of it. Um, but no, Ed just, you know, grabbed the wrenches, got straight under the hood, and ripped the engine out and started to pull it apart. Well, I was quite and, biased with that car, because I mean, I, it's one of those things where you should never buy a car, you know, sort of with, with your heart, in a way. You should always buy it with your head. And, and that, I didn't really care in almost what condition that car was. And I wanted a Lamborghini on the show. So we just had to have it. And that was really the only one we'd found that was even vaguely viable. But it sounded really good. So it's just like, just buy it, just buy it, you know, whatever. But just don't do anything with it. Don't drive it, don't turn it over, don't roll it, you know, whatever. There's a lot of shows out there that do 
kind of what you do. But the best thing about your show is you guys are hysterically entertaining for a lot of us. I mean, <laughs> for, for auto guys, I mean, they're guys who yell at each other and insult each other and do all this stuff. The fact is you guys come at it with kind of almost a comedic look at it. And you, you develop this car out of what a lot of people don't believe you're going to be able to do. My question is, do you remember... Not necessarily the most fun, but the funniest. Oh, yeah. I think, first of all, it's worth noting that Mike's really easy to laugh at. So, <laughs> so I think that's what... That's, what... that's nice. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the one that's six foot seven with mad hair. <laughs> Full size. But anyway, moving on, what was the question again? Well, I I mean, but, but effectively, uh, to, to summarise the question, there are a tonne of copycat shows uh, out there that are trying yeah. to do uh, replicate the success of Wheeler Dealers with its 100 million viewers around the world that never be beaten. Um, uh, there's a lot of people out there out there around the world of trying to re uh, replicate our, our show and the, they missed the secret ingredient and the secret ingredient is our relationship you know it's mike and ed we truly are best mates we truly love each other a bit we're like family we're like brothers and uh, we love what we do and w for us we always say in the show it's not about us and you know it's flattering that we are considered stars uh, but we're not it's the car the car is mm -hmm. always the star and we always i think one of the best things about our show is that we always pay respect to the car and the process that we're doing uh, and to each other you know we always pay, it's it's all about the car you know, that's the only reason why people are going to tune in. If if it was Mike and Ed do wallpapering, people <laughs> may... You might get some people tuned into that. Actually, it's not a bad idea. Oh, we should try that. We should try that. You heard it here first. But I think it's always about the car, you know, and that, and the car is the star, and that's the secret ingredient. Wow, that that is pretty cool. And the other thing that's really neat, and, and one of the things, aside from what we're talking about that got me interested, is learning from what you do. I mean, it's interesting to watch you bargain, but I got to tell you something. Nobody does what you do, Ed. I mean, you, you basically get in there and you start not only working on cars, everybody does that, but then you start almost teaching us. Mm. And for some of us guys who frankly would need, you know, Henry Ford behind me before I really had enough guts <laughs> to try something, looking at you doing it, thinking, well, it's not as hard as I thought it was because mm -hmm. of what you do. But I think that's actually in the way the key. I mean, I, I'm very lucky in as much as you know, we have very small amount of time on each car, like two weeks per car. So unlike anybody at home where you get to the hard bit and you go, you know, I'd have another cup of tea, or I'm, I'm, I might just go and take the dog for a walk, or whatever. You, I kind of have to do that. I've got a camera crew waiting. You know, Mike will be outside, so we have to crack on. So that the first thing is that gets you over the first kind of hump, but also just the, actually the explaining stuff to people is it, it almost started by having to do that to the sound man. Particularly, I mean, it's actually quite interesting. Our crew is, you know, we are a very dysfunctional family, but you know, it's it's very much like. Well, we are a family, and you kind of everybody has a kind of a role. Some of them are very subtle. So when we explain stuff, one of the things is if the guys, if the crew don't get it, what, we, what I'm saying, I then have to try and rejig it again. And so sometimes we're trying to explain really complicated things in the simplest of terms, and I'll just keep going until they go, okay, got it, right, okay. And then so once that happens, then we know we're okay. But it's really about it's, it's something quite fun, I think, actually trying to explain thing to anybody and if you tell somebody how to tie a type of knot or you know you try and explain somebody how to make a dish you know that that's there's something about being able to impart knowledge so i'm very lucky with that but obviously it just became 
one of the things of the show that makes makes it popular, I guess. Yeah, we're very excited to be here in the sunshine and uh, uh, sucking in this amazing car culture in America, doing some great cars. Not all American cars. We're keeping the show exactly as it was before, just a mixture of American and, and European and uh, Japanese cars. Because it is a global series. It plays all over the world. Uh, some people get it before other people, uh, but we're very excited because in America you've got two new seasons to look forward to. Is it different, and I'll ask you to both respond to this, is it different, for example, to negotiate with people here in the States, you've done it before, versus people in Europe, and for you, the cars remain the same in a sense, but the facilities might be different, the location's got to be a little different than where you normally are mm-hmm. in England. How is it different for both of you, if at all? It's uh, remarkably different. I do a, another series called Trading Up, where I've been around the world buying and selling cars, and I've immersed myself into the car culture all over the globe and looked at the different ways that people buy and sell cars. And from doing a deal in Japan, where it's completely non-confrontational and it's all done by courtesy and politeness and uh, there's n- there's barely any exchange between you and the customer, uh, to doing a deal in America where it's completely different, where everything is just cut and thrust. And I love more than anywhere else in the world, it's it's much nicer to buy a car in the States. It's, it's much more aggressive to buy a car in the States, but it's a much nicer deal because it's very clean, uh, i.e. Americans won't lie. And they, they are fantastic at telling the truth about their cars. In Europe, if somebody's got a car for sale, an MG, they will say, yeah, it used to belong to the vicar, vicar's wife. She drove it to church every day. Uh, it, she was 80 years of age. It's never been faster than 30 miles an hour. It's really been well looked after and well loved. That's what they would say in England or in Europe. In America, I'll be talking to a guy saying I'm interested in buying his car. And he'll say, you see this car? Me and my brother had a wreck in this car. We rebuilt it in the garage. And this car, we've nailed it. We've taken it to 150 miles an hour. I've redlined this engine everywhere. This is unbreakable, this car. And they tell you the truth about it. And that is so refreshing for me to hear. So in terms of the deal aspect, I like to do deals in America than any other place in the world. In terms of mechanicking, well, just actually, I mean, well, one thing is air conditioning would be nicer if we had more of it. Perhaps. Sorry, I will the, the, work on that. <laughs> I will work on that. But the, the thing is, well, the lovely climate actually over here, you know, is wonderful. Actually, you know, being able to, being so close to the beach and stuff is fantastic as well. At the end of the day, all that's great. Actually, inside the studio, I mean, obviously the the equipment's much the same. Um, the, the cars, I mean, obviously Mike's been buying American cars for quite some time, so in a way. The cars are also much the same. I mean, I think what's some of the interesting stuff is that it's kind of everything's flipped on its head. So if you have a European car, we, now we can't get that part really quickly. We have an American car, literally you can walk around the corner and pick it up from the shop. So that's kind of weird because you kind of just have to kind of reprogram your head a little bit. Um, and we've got some um, help in, the, in, in sort of the, for the prep sort of studio as well. We've got a couple of American mechanics. And it's quite fun finding different ways that we all look at stuff. And obviously there if, parts actually have physical names that are different. You know, which is interesting. So obviously you have rotors, we have discs, you know, for, for brakes and stuff like that. So there's little subtleties like that. But essentially, as Mike was saying earlier on about the whole show, 
it's basically the same kind of thing. We just have bigger vistas. The test drives here are fantastic. Um, and we, we've done one with a, a GTO, which I probably can't mention at all. Um, and um, that's, <laughs> so we took that to Borrego Springs, and it's just an amazing, just driving around the desert in this awesome, awesome car. And that was just fantastic. And we took another car, which I probably can't mention. The you can, yeah. Can we I? took the, yeah, the MGA <laughs> up at Hollywood Hills. We did the Ford F1 truck up at the uh, Los Angeles um, National Park, you know, up in the hills. And just getting and, to uh, see America like that is just really great. cool. You know, that, that's the best bit, I think. Actually. You don't have air conditioning in England? Uh, uh, yes, we don't we need do. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 oh, uh, I don't yeah, understand no, we, that concept. We, we do get summers, and uh, yes, uh, we, do, we do have air conditioning. No, the workshop here, uh, when we did the deal, we thought it had air conditioning, uh, but the landlord, <laughs> the landlord uh, elected to remove the big fuse. Uh, that works the air conditioning. There you go. Mike Brewer and Ed China from Wheeler Dealers. And by the way, both Mike and Ed will join me in the coming weeks for Mike and Ed's Talking About Cars segments. That's right, the cars they grew up with, what's in their garages today, and what cars they really want someday.